It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Reds fans? My name is Jeff Carr, and you are Locked On Reds. And here we go. What's up, Reds fans, and welcome into the Locked On Reds podcast here on a Thursday. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to today's show. On today's show, we have a special Locked On crossover edition as Sully Baseball from Locked On MLB and myself talk all things Reds, kind of go over a little bit of just how long I've been a Reds fan and talking about all kinds of great stuff with Sully. Before we get to that, though, I have some crow I need to eat. But first, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and Himalaya, and social media. Check us out on Twitter, at LockdownReds, and at Jeff Carr with three Fs, and then head on over to LockdownReds.com. I got a wild hair about me, and I wrote a couple of articles. One, a preview for the Oakland Athletics Series, and then another one, and I'll talk more about this next week, but one that is about... Sinclair Broadcasting Group buying the Fox Regional Sports Networks. Basically, you know, in essence, buying Fox Sports Ohio, among all of the other Fox Sports Regional Broadcasting channels. And um, why that might be a little more interesting than you think it will. Uh, Definitely go check that out. And like I said, we'll unpack that one day next week during the podcast. So anyway, real quick, like I said, before we get to the lockdown crossover, I got to eat some crow because it was a little bit ago. I think it might've been an off season episode, but I was mentioning how the Reds began the season with the mandate to get the pitching, began the off season to get the pitching. And they, um, you know, they made some really good moves, some moves that I didn't expect. Because when you heard get the pitching, what they've done in years past led you to believe they were going to go get some guys on minor league deals or super cheap deals, reclamation projects, that sort of thing. And they didn't do that. And I use the example of what the Oakland A's did by signing Marco Estrada and Mike Fires. I think you know where I'm going with this. Mike Fires no hit the Reds on Tuesday night. So I got to eat some crow for that because I called Mike Fires, you know, a cheap signing, uh, uh, the kind of thing that uh, the old Reds front office would have done. And hey, I, I, it's very obvious that Mike Fires is a listener of the Locked On Reds podcast. So, you know, he's one of the seven of you all out there. So I appreciate that for him listening. And I apparently motivated him to no hit the Reds. And like I said on Twitter, you know, the Reds just got done scoring 37 runs in a four-game series against the Giants. So they just decided to let the bats cool for a game. So I'm hoping here, I'm recording this before Wednesday night's game, so hoping that will turn around mighty quickly. But let's go ahead and jump in to the Locked On crossover with Locked On MLB's Sully Baseball. Hope you guys enjoy it. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On 
Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Daily Podcast where we cover all of Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. You can follow the show on Twitter at LockdownMLB. You can follow me at Sully Baseball and on Instagram at Sully Baseball Podcast. Why Sully Baseball Podcast? Because someone else took Sully Baseball. Uh, you can get this show on the brand new podcasting app, Himalaya, as well as Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Player FM, all the places you get podcasts. You know how to get podcasts because you're listening to one right now. Maybe you're listening to the show directly from the website, LockedOnMLB.com. When you get into your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On MLB. It is now the 9th day of May, 2019. And I'm going to urge you to check out the other shows on the Lockdown Podcast Network and hear local experts break down your team. It truly is your team every day. But Sully, what do you mean there are other Lockdown Podcasts specifically covering the teams? Well, let me give you an example. Let's say you're a Cincinnati Reds fan and you say, hey, I want to listen to a podcast about the Cincinnati Reds. What are you prepared to do about it? I'd say go to Lockdown Reds where their host, Jeff Carr, breaks down the Cincinnati Reds. And by sheer coincidence, I have on right now, via the Skype, the host of the Locked On Reds podcast, Jeff Carr. Jeff, welcome to Locked On MLB. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. So tell me a little bit before we dive into the 2019 Cincinnati Reds, a team that I think is actually a pretty interesting team. Uh, if not a contender for this year, then certainly putting something very intriguing together uh, moving forward. Tell me a little bit about your fandom. Uh, how long have you been a Reds fan? And I understand you're currently in Dayton, Ohio, as I'm here in Palo Alto, California. Absolutely. Um, honestly, there's baby pictures of me wearing uh, Cincinnati Reds stuff. Now, I can't claim any sort of memory of what was going on at that time, but pretty much from the moment that I picked up a baseball, I was a Reds fan. Yep. And uh, now I got it. I have what's called the rule of seven, which is you and you by you kind of illustrated that right there because you don't really have memories until you're around seven years old of a sporting event. Uh, and so like I was born in 1972 and the Reds won the pennant that year, but I don't remember watching that world series because I was in a crib. The first world series I remember watching was the 1979 world series and the 79 playoffs, which the Reds lost. Uh, but using the rule of seven and you can't, you can't count anything before you're seven years old. Are you old enough to remember the 1990 World Series. <laughs> I wish I could say yes. Um, I actually mentioned it whenever I was talking about the preview for the series with the A's that is starting just tonight, that it's a rematch of the 1990 World Series, which I remember very well, and uh, that was more of a joke because I'm afraid I don't. I gotta say, I mean, I've done uh, research because of a, of a writing project of mine about the 72 postseason which is, I think, the wildest baseball postseason we've ever had it was in 1972. All the series went the distance. They all ended with the other team having a chance to win in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, you had, you know, Bert Campanaris throwing a bat at a player. You had the, the hairs versus the squares. You had Reggie Jackson tearing his, his knee. It was an amazing postseason, which was also the last Game played by Roberto Clemente and the last public appearance by Jackie Robinson. I mean, it was 
social, economic, political, all the stuff in Cincinnati right in the heart of it. I remember in 1990, I was in college, my freshman year of college, and the Reds were playing the A's. I'm a diehard Boston Red Sox fan, and for the second time in three years, the Red Sox were beaten like a drum by the Oakland A's and the ALCS. Full disclosure, I wanted the Pirates to win the World Series that year because I was a fan of Bonds and those guys. But the minute the World Series was between the Reds and the A's, you would have thought I grew up in northern Kentucky. That's how passionately <laughs> I was rooting for the Cincinnati Reds in that series. And there is a story, it may be apocryphal, uh, that the, a the A's swept the Giants the year before in the earthquake series. And it was the Giants never had a lead in a single inning. It was just a blowout. And mm -hmm. everybody thought the A's were going to run over the Reds that year. And when the Reds won the first game with Davis hitting the home run off of Dave Stewart, it may be apocryphal, but apparently Faye Vincent, who desperately wanted a competitive World Series, turned to whoever he was with and said, watch the Reds sweep them. <laughs> That's... Which is exactly what happened. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, it's one of those things I really wish I you know, had intimate knowledge of, but everything that I know is from my dad and from just reading about it and all the great videos that we have on the wonderful YouTube. So, growing up, who was your guy? Oh, it was definitely Barry Larkin. I mean, I was a big King Griffey Jr. fan, but he didn't come to the Reds until a little bit after, so I definitely claimed Barry Larkin over King Griffey Jr. Well, because he was he was local. I mean, there's there's always I mean, he spent his whole career with the Reds, but also because he was local. There's something about that when you you can claim a Hall of Famer as your own, both in terms of their career and also in terms of their heritage. Absolutely. And I mean, Barry did so much for the Reds at a time. I mean, you know, in 95, they were in the playoffs, but really for the entire 90s and the early 2000s, the Reds were really an afterthought because they just yeah. never could put it all together. I mean, especially uh, probably the first series that I, or the first season that I remember the best, kind of like you said, seven. This was a few years after that, 1999 right. and friggin' Al Leiter. But yeah. Oh, man. That, <laughs> I remember that, that year while I was living in New York. And for those of you who don't remember that, the Reds put together a really surprising season where they tied the Mets for a wild card spot at the end of the year, but were also neck and neck with it was Houston, right? Houston won the division. Yep. And there was a period where it looked like they may actually win the division. And they wound up getting tied on the final day of the season. And it was the one-game playoff for the wild card between the New York Mets and the Cincinnati Reds. And Al Leiter threw a complete game shutout. And if I remember correctly, it was like 8 nothing or 7 nothing. It, it was a blowout. It was, it was a disaster. And that was Jack McKeon was yep. managing. And... The next season, the Reds brought in Ken Griffey Jr. from Seattle, and the mindset was, here's a team that got to within one win of the postseason, and you're adding Griffey. Ladies and gentlemen, let the victories pile on. The 2000s, let the Reds' decade begin. And unfortunately for the Reds, and I'm a huge Ken Griffey Jr. fan, fortunately for the Reds, they got the breaking down years of Ken Griffey Jr. And the Mariners wound up going to the playoffs back-to-back -back years, the years after he left.
Yeah, they they took Mike Cameron and ran with it. Yeah. So uh, I've been to I went to Riverfront Stadium. I've not been to the new ballpark, uh, and I have very I had a lovely time. Cincinnati is a beautiful city, and I had a lovely time when I was there. It was it looked exactly like the old films of the Big Red Machine. So it was kind of like. It's not the same experience of going to Wrigley Field, but you're like, yeah, I could, I could picture Tony Perez and Pete Rose and Johnny Bench and all that's going on there. So it's a great baseball city. Oh, yeah. I, I, the Riverfront, I got to see my first game ever. I, I was six. We went to see the Reds play the Expos, which I I hope there's no one listening to this that doesn't know who the Expos were. But um, I loved Riverfront, and I love going to Great American. I almost consider it you know, like a home away from home sort of thing because I get my skyline, I sit down, and I just enjoy the ball game every time I'm there. It looks beautiful. It looks absolutely beautiful. I've, as I said, I've yet to go to a game there, but a lot of the new stadiums are kind of blending together the way that the cookie-cutter parks did. I talked about cookie-cutter parks on Wednesday's podcast, for those of you who have been following it, mm-hmm. and now, like when I see a game in Philadelphia or in Washington or in St. Louis or in Minnesota, I'm thinking, wait, which one am I looking at? They all look kind of the same right now. But the one in Cincinnati looks and feels very Cincinnati. It's that and the new one in Pittsburgh really feel like the city. And I think that's a wonderful trait to have in a ballpark. Oh, for sure. I mean, the power stacks, you know, you're looking at Great American Ballpark when you see those out in center field. And we always keep waiting for someone to hit them. I know Jesse Winker hit it, uh, hit the power stacks last year because they always have a promotion that, you know, if you hit the sign on the power stacks, then a random fan that they pick wins a Toyota Tundra. And I want to say it was the first time anyone had ever done it, and it was phenomenal. But it's uh, definitely the iconic look for Great American Ballpark. All right, now let's talk a little bit about the, uh, as we're putting this together, the Reds and the Giants are about to have a rematch of an absolutely bananas series of which the Giants won a game where they were losing 8 nothing. They mm-hmm. won another game where they let up home runs on three consecutive pitches, and they lost a game of which the, the movie The Swarm, starring Michael Caine, was reenacted in the... Uh, in this ballpark with a swarm of bees delaying the game. And now these two teams are having a rematch, which would be a wonderful series if there was a time machine putting these two teams back to 2012. (laughs) But I'm sorry to mention the 2012 postseason where those of you don't remember the Reds were really one swing away from going to the one home run in the ninth away from going to the National Championship Series. But this is going to be a wild rematch of these two teams with similar records, but I really sense that the the Reds are heading in the right direction. I agree with you. And the craziest part, I mean, there's a lot of crazy parts about this weekend. And kind of like you mentioned, 2012, Friday, like everyone on Reds Twitter was just like, ugh. If you could sum 2012 up in a regular season game in 2019 – here it is. But I mean, the Reds as a whole scored 37 runs. They hit 15 homers and batted 280 as a team, something they hadn't done the entire season. I think up to that point, their team batting average was like 208 
or something stupid like that. And so then they just go nuts in the series, but they still split it because they just implode on Friday and Sunday. And then, of course, the great B game, which it's funny because as we speak right now in Oakland, there is a delay currently because the lights aren't working. And so everyone's... That's Oakland. I mean, I'm right across the bay from Oakland right now. Let me tell you, that place is is a car that they have put tape around the window when it broke, and there's sort of the 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 bumper is hanging on by a piece of yarn. I mean, it's like that's the Oakland Coliseum there. I mean, that doesn't surprise me. I'm surprised someone had a key to the place. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's it's brought up all the jokes. They said, well, yesterday it, we blame the B's, and today we blame the A's, but. Uh, uh, that's my bad joke for the night, I promise. It's, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, uh, as a team, you know, I was looking at the the notes today, said that since they started the year 1-8, and eight, their record is 14-12. and 12, And they've yeah. won more series, like in the last eight series, their record is like, they've won three series, lost two series, and tied three series, a lot of... I'm saying the word series a lot there, but uh, overall they're starting to look up and with the wonderful coming of Nick Senzel, we are all just super thrilled for our baseball team here in Cincinnati. All right. We're going to get to Senzel in just a moment here. I do want to point out I'm at currently at baseballreference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet earth. And the, they have the Pythagorean win loss, which is what your win loss record should be based upon the runs you score and the runs you allow. Now, I, as of this recording, the Reds are five games under 500. The, that record may be a little different when you're hearing it. According to Pythagorean theorem, the Pythagorean win-loss theorem, they should be five games above 500, <laughs> that they've outscored their opponents by more than 20 runs. Mm-hmm. Which I think factors really, really that they have a positive run differential and they should have a better win loss record. You consider the fact they they lost what you said it was nine of the first ten or eight or whatever whether whatever it was. They right. started badly. Yes, they started. They, let's just, let's get down to brass tacks. They started badly. Couldn't have uh, been a flatter start if they tried. But with that being said, with that bad start. They still they're they're outscoring their opponents, uh, and they haven't had Joey Votto heat up yet. They haven't had Puig really uh, heat up yet. As someone lives in California, I've seen a lot of Puig play, and they've had let's be kind and call it a spotty bullpen. Mm-hmm. Um, but with all of that being said, they're they're showing signs that this is a team that you should not ignore. For sure, and and I was uh, surprised to see an article by Mark Kerrig in The Athletic. He was talking about the most interesting last place team in baseball is the Reds. And I mean, I say that all the time, but I'm just a super optimist when it comes to the Reds. It it differs quite a bit with the football team here in town. But um, yeah. with the Reds, I, I'm very bullish on what they've got on the team. Like you said, Puig is really starting to come around. And mm-hmm. most of the city has been behind him since day one. So everyone was just waiting for him to turn on. And I think, I don't know the exact number. I know that for his career, his Aprils usually aren't too pretty. 
So I'm not super worried about the numbers that he's putting out there. Joey, I think he's going to get going. There was a there was a thing I was listening to today. They were talking about the crazy strike zones that the umpires have, and, and we can debate umpires till the sun goes blue and it's not going to matter. But with Joey's command of the strike zone, he's kind of having to readjust depending on what umpires behind the plate. And so I think he's going to be fine, but overall I'm just, I'm very excited. And you know, real quick, you mentioned the bullpen. There's been a thing come out here lately with Rysel Iglesias. He was, right. he was signed to a deal to avoid his arbitration years this off season. They signed him to a three-year deal, gave him a raise. And they said, at least the front office and the coaching staff was like, we're going to use him as our bullpen ace. Whatever situation during the game, we're going to bring him in. That might not mean that he's getting the save, but he's going to keep us in the ball game if it's the seventh inning and we're facing the three, four, five hitters of the team. But Rysel never actually came out with a quote and said that he supported that. And then on Monday, it was made known that he literally said in his own, you know, quote, word for word, they are using me very badly. Mm -hmm. And it's just been a whole big deal, at least as far as folks who talk about the Reds here lately, because he struggled mightily. And now he's dictating what his role should be. And it's, it's just not a super good look right now. No, it isn't. But uh, what is the wonderful look is you created the image of the sun going blue. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I've never heard that before. And I'm now going to use that in my lexicon constantly. But hey, <laughs> uh, I I want to uh, bring up one thing to sort of cross pollinating with another lockdown podcast. Uh, my dear friend, Stacy Gatsoulias, who runs the Lockdown Yankees podcast in the offseason and spring training was basically screaming at the Yankee front office saying, you're trading Sonny Gray instead of trying to figure out what's wrong with Sonny Gray. And the, the attitude around Yankee Dome was, well, the Yankees coaching staff can't fix him, so maybe another team could you know, fix him. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, why don't the Yankees sign someone who could fix him and therefore, you have a good starting pitcher. And we've seen that. Like with the Red Sox, you saw uh, Rick Porcello be lousy one year, Cy Young Award winner the next. I mean, you can see players, pitchers who are talented, have turnaround seasons. It happens all the time. David Price was lost in the woods his first couple of years with Boston, and he turned it around the second half of the year last year, and certainly well into the playoffs. And even though, as of this recording, Gray's record is 0-4, I don't really look at records. I think that's, I think that's overrated. Yeah. Uh, save for his first really crappy start that he had, Gray's been pretty effective. He's, he's really ignited the whole thing about... Because Joey Votto, in a couple of different interviews with people, has mentioned that our pitching, or the Reds pitching, I don't play for the Reds, but the Reds pitching is significantly better this year. And everyone thought it was just, you know, rah-rah speech until they've seen some of the performances. And there was a really good, um, I know I keep talking about different things that people are writing, but um, Eno Saris had a great sit-down interview with Sonny Gray talking right. about what went wrong in New York and what he believes Derek Johnson can bring to the table in Cincinnati. And he said that one of the things that the Yankees managerial staff kept telling him to do was to throw his slider 
and he he told Eno Saris, he's like, my slider sucks. Like, it's my worst pitch. And they kept right. telling me to throw that and, you know, get that better and stop worrying about my curveball. And Derek Johnson has been quoted as saying that, his, you know, if you tell Sonny Gray to stop throwing a curveball, that's like handing Superman a brick of kryptonite. It's just not going to work. So they have really honed back in on what he does well, and it's paid off at least on all of the, the statistics that don't, you know, refer to his record, which I'm with you. Right. A pitcher's record is neither here nor there. But he's just been unlucky and hasn't quite got that win just yet. But I've been super impressed with him, and I'm super happy with the fact that they even signed him to an extension whenever they acquired him. Well, I take a look at their staff. I mean, Luis Castillo, who is not the same person who is the second baseman for the Marlins. I keep having to remind myself that. He's he's going to be an all-star this year. I mean, he's pitching fantastic. Whatever metric you want to use, he's got a decent win-loss if you're into that. But ERA, strikeouts per inning pitch, uh, strikeouts per walks, uh, FIP, whip, whatever your stats you like to use, Castillo has been magnificent. Uh, Disclafani, Sclafani, I'm, I'm mispronouncing his name, and I apologize to him. He's pitched well. He's certainly striking out a lot per inning. Uh, Rourke, Tanner Rourke has done okay. Um, and, you know, the, as we said before, their bullpen has been a little shaky, but they have, when you can throw three or four decent pitchers in a four-game run, you have a chance to to win some ball games, and I, I think one of the things that's really going against the Reds right now is the fact that St. Louis, Milwaukee, Pittsburgh, and Chicago are all playing very very well, and they have a brutal division. But that being said, this is a young enough team, and I mean Puig. Remember Puig's under thirty. I mean this is. I mean, I mean uh, Jose Iglesias. Red Sox fans remember him. He's hitting the snot out of the ball, not in terms of home runs, but triples and doubles and everything like that. And he's and he's he's hitting well, and he's always been an outstanding defender. This is a team that is laying down the groundwork for something really good. And I want to turn that into you telling me a little bit about uh, Senzel and is it Van Meter and some of the other players who have come up on this team that may give some more hope moving forward. Oh yeah, uh, Senzel. There was a massive, and I was part of the throng that was just begging the Reds to bring him up opening day. But there was a lot of people that really wanted to see him opening day. And then they decided to put him on the AAA roster out of spring break. He messed up his ankle, spent some time on the injured list. And then, you know, even after he came off the injured list, they said, you know, we're not bringing him up just yet. We want him to get some work in center field. Well, right. then he played like 11 games, <laughs> and then they brought him straight up. So it was kind of like, okay, you're playing service time. That's fine. But ever since he's been up, I've gotten the chance to watch, I mean, really scrutinize his at-bats. He's super smart. Like, the pitches that are terrible, he doesn't even look like he's tempted by them. And then he does really well at getting a bat on the ball, whether it's just to foul something off and stay alive. I think he worked two walks in his first game. And I saw another stat on him said that he is the first red ever. Johnny Bench, Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, you name it. First red Matt ever. Kemp. Matt Kemp. Kemp. <laughs> exactly. In his first four career games, he's had three home runs. First red ever to do that. Oh, really? And, 
Yeah, and and he should have had four. I mean, Kevin Pillar made one of the best plays I've ever seen. Yeah, robbing that home run in center field that was amazing on Saturday. I got to watch watch that live. But Sinzel is awesome. Van Meter, uh, he kind of came on the scene um, this season in AAA, just hitting the cover off the ball. And so then they brought him up, and the only two at bats that I've seen from him, he's drawn walks. Although his second walk that he got, he then stole second. So I'm like, okay, well he's just gonna he's just gonna be a guy that produces mm-hmm. with whatever situation he's given, and I can get way behind that. And there's and the the two guys really that have have generated the biggest buzz from the offseason were the two guys that the Reds got on minor league show me deals. So you mentioned Iglesias, right? His glove has just been silky smooth phenomenal and then even hitting like we'd never expected as reds fans for him to hit as good as he has he was Mm -hmm. a home run away from the cycle on monday and then um the other guy is Derek dietrich i I, i've been talking about this last couple of days on twitter i don't know how on earth the marlins non-tendered this dude and no one else signed him he right now I think it's a tie. I think Suarez might lead the team in home runs, but Derek Dietrich is right behind him in home runs, and he's batting super good. I mean, he's a fan favorite already. He's kind of like the second coming of what Scooter Jeanette did a few years back. Right. And with Jeanette on the DL, that is a huge, or IL, whatever the letters are. Yeah. Um, it's a huge deal for the Reds so far this year. And think about this for a second. If you have... Uh, Senzel. It's Senzel, right? It's funny. When you don't say a name out loud, I think it's Senzel. But um, you have Winkler, Senzel, and Puig are all going to be there next year, and they're all under 30. I mean, Puig is going to be 30. I mean, like, they're all... I'm well, sorry, I... Puig is on a one-year deal. He, But we're... Oh, I thought they extended it. Oh, I... I nah, okay. I'm hoping that they do. I feel like they are, but they haven't yet. But Winkler is, you know, he's played pretty well, and you have Senzel, and then you have, uh, you know, Suarez is 20, it will be 28. I mean, you have a bunch of players on this team that are good and young, and sometimes you take a look at a club, even if they're not going to win this year, and I, and truth be told, I don't think they're going to make the postseason this year, because I think the division is way too stacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, although who would have thought the A's were going to make it last year or the Rockies and Diamondbacks the year before that. Sometimes you don't know. But there are windows of opportunity that could be closing in Chicago that may be closing in Milwaukee. But the fact that this Reds team is laying down a foundation that they can score, they can pitch, and if a team does stub their toe a little bit, you know, the way that last year everyone wrote the Washington Nationals name in ink to win the division, and they fell short, and then Atlanta picked up the gauntlet. You know, there there are years like that that something can happen, and the way this Cincinnati team is constituted, this could be this could be one of the teams that does that. I'm with you. the The division is stacked. I mean, you talk about Washington from last year. I think we got three Washingtons with, yeah. you know, the Cardinals, the Cubs, and the Brewers. They they all... and I don't look overlook the Pirates. Yeah. I think the Pirates can pitch and they can hit. I picked them to be a wild card team this year. I thought they were. I I think they're they're going to contend all year. I'm a big fan of Bell at first base. I like him a lot. Yeah. And and their catcher's awesome, Sorelli. He's he's a heck of a dude. 
And I'm with you. I mean, it just as a whole, the division top to bottom, there was like all the different projection systems before the year, and none of them were, you know, had a consensus on how the division was going to play out. There was one that had the Cubs first, and there was another one that I saw that had the Cubs last, which I was, was like, whoa. That's I, a stretch. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, I don't I think, think that. I think going to come down a little bit, but I don't think they're going to be in a last place team, yeah. so... No, I'm 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 with you there, but it, and it and it would be a stretch for the Reds to make the playoffs. But I almost look like this is 2009, the year before right. Clinchmas, mm-hmm. and and you know that year wasn't awful. And after four years of 90 loss seasons, anything where the win column starts with seven just sounds awesome. If it starts with eight, if we're in the 80s, like there might be a party thrown at Fountain Square, but. All in all, I I think it's going to be a season that surprises a lot of people that might be sleeping on the Reds. And there's a lot of folks in town that are maybe not detractors of the Reds, but they're just like, ugh, Cincinnati sports teams, what do you got to do? But I think this team is a lot better than April showed. And I'm, I agree with you here. I think the rest of the season is going to be phenomenal. Well, if nothing else, they're going to be fun to watch. And sometimes, some of my favorite, growing up in Massachusetts like I did, some of my favorite Red Sox teams that I remember watching were not teams that contended. There were some teams where, I remember one year they brought up Mike Greenwell and Ellis Burks and Todd Benzinger and a bunch of players. Like, oh man, we got, we got some hope for the future. Or some years where, like the emergence of Wade Boggs in a non-contending season, I remember thinking, wow, Boggs could win the batting title. And it allows you to attach some emotion. So when those teams do finally make the postseason, like they did, you know, in the late eighties with my Red Sox or the way that the people who were following the Reds in 2009 got to really celebrate when Bruce launched that home run to clinch in 2010. Uh, that's, this could be the fun kind of year where you set up uh, a postseason run. And I think that could be a lot of fun. That's one of those things, too, like, at its base level, sports is supposed to be entertaining. So if your team isn't good, at least be entertaining. And the biggest problem with the Reds these last four years, aside from the fact that they lost 90-plus games all four years, was the fact that they were just boring. Like, you really couldn't point to anything that got you excited. I mean, last year they kind of had Scooter fighting for the batting title, but you just knew that Yelich was going to take that over at the end. Yeah. But this year, they've got personalities on the team. I mean, they got Puig, Dietrich's proven to be a personality. Winker's really coming into his own, you know, waving goodbye to all the Mets fans and yeah. all that good stuff. So I, I'm very entertained so far, and I don't expect that to change much uh, down the road. Well, uh, well I'm going to check on them because they're a fun, exciting team to watch. Hey, man, uh, why don't you plug your show so people who subscribe to Locked on MLB and haven't already listened to your show, can know where to go. Absolutely. Locked on Reds each and every day, Monday through Friday. Uh, got a you know got an episode posted in each morning. I try to talk to someone new each week when it comes to Cincinnati Sports Talk guys or you know around the team. I do have a huge interview coming uh, this week as well as next week. This week I get to talk to Lance McAllister, dude on top of the world when it comes to Sports Talk Radio in Cincinnati. And then next week I'm going to have 
and I'm I'm just super blown away by this one, but get to talk to Bronson Arroyo. Um, oh! Yeah, I, oh, you might like man. that one. <laughs> Boston Red Sox fan here loving the tooth, any 2004 Red Sox and is I'm loving it. And and I will say that when they pulled that trade off, uh, Willie Mopena for Bronson Arroyo, that very day I called Dibble and Kennedy on XM saying this is a horrible trade for the Red Sox. What the hell are they doing? They need pitching depth. We don't need a backup outfielder. And I had so many people telling me, oh, Sully, you're going to love his power. He's going to fit right in with Manny and Ortiz. And yeah, how'd that work out? How <laughs> did that work out? I still Arroyo think that... pitched great for the Reds for years and years. Oh, man. And he was one of my favorites. I mean, he got to pitch on all those teams that they were just just a little bit underneath of what they could have been. But and I still I still think of Willie Mopena. I got an autograph from him one time as a kid, and I'm like, that is the biggest person I've ever seen. And <laughs> I know there's bigger people than him, but still I just I just remember looking up and being like, Whoa. And whenever we got Bronson Arroyo, and I remember watching him in the World Series and I was just like, Whoa, he's gonna be a red? He pitched in the World Series. And uh, he was super cool, and I'm really looking forward to talking to him next week. That'll be next Friday that I get that one posted. Oh, well, make sure to listen to that one. Hey, before we sign off, I want to tell you that uh, I was once, because I knew someone in the A's for a little while, and I was in the, the sort of the tunnel to the clubhouse, and they had just acquired Adam Dunn. Ooh. And Adam Dunn walked out of the clubhouse, walked down the, the hallway, and I don't know how into Harry Potter you are, but I thought to myself, that's Hagrid. It's Hagrid. <laughs> it's just, he was, he was nine foot three and yeah. he just looked like, like a Sasquatch just was walking down the, the hallway. He's gigantic. You know, that's, that's another one of my favorite reds. I always, I mean, you knew it was going to go a long way when he got the bat on the ball. Mo Vaughn of the Red Sox used to do, and Adam Dunn did this too with the Reds, I called them camera breakers because the camera had to tilt all the way up and all the way down because he, they hit, not only they went far, but they went high. And they're just, and that's what the Dunn, and that's what certainly what Mo Vaughn did with the Sox. So, hey, Mr. Carr, thanks for being part of the show. And make sure to listen to this podcast on the Himalaya Podcasting app. Check us out on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Podbeam, all the places you get podcasts. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at LockdownMLB. Follow me on Twitter at Sully Baseball or Instagram at Sully Baseball Podcast. Listen to Lockdown Reds and all the other great shows on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. This has been the Lockdown MLB Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Hey, you know what you can call me? Call me Sully. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.